Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Hi, I'm Meredith Bell, and welcome to another episode of Strong for Performance. I'm glad to have you with me today, and I am delighted to have as my guest, John Livesey. John, welcome. Meredith, thanks for having me on your wonderful new podcast. Well, thank you for being with me. John is an extraordinary person. He has this expertise in sales that I really resonate with because it's so aligned with my values as a person and how I like to build relationships. So I'm really looking forward to going deep with him on that. He also has his own successful podcast called The Successful Pitch, which I highly recommend. And he's also the author of a brand new book that I'm excited to talk about with him today because I've read it and there's so much valuable information there. And it's called Um, Hold on just a moment. Thank you, John. Yes, for those of you watching the video, Better Selling Through Storytelling, the Essential Roadmap for Becoming a Revenue Rockstar. I love that title because I love the fact that you're focused on storytelling. But before we go deep into the book, John, give us a little bit of background on your journey along this process in life and what you've learned yourself about storytelling. Well, thank you for that wonderful, warm introduction. My own process was I got my training in Silicon Valley selling multi-million dollar mainframe computers back in the day when IBM had its stronghold on almost all the companies. And they used to sell with FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you bought anything that wasn't IBM and the computers broke, they'd point fingers at the other vendor and you'd lose your job. So the stakes were very high to get people to change their behavior, even if you're... product was less expensive and and more efficient and faster, people still had that unspoken fear going on. So that really was fantastic training to realize that information and price and speed doesn't get people to change their behavior or take a chance on something until you handle those issues around our survival mechanisms. And then I um, moved to Los Angeles and got into the world of advertising, worked for an ad agency, and my job was to convince studios to let us edit their movies into commercials to promote getting people to go watch or buy the, you know, the DVD. And that's really where I learned about storytelling, Meredith. You'd have to take a two-hour movie and condense it to 30 seconds Mm. not give away the story, but intrigue them enough to go, oh, I want to watch that. Or if they'd watched it in the theater, oh, I want to see it again. Or if it had not done well in the theater, how do you reposition the movie to get people who weren't interested in going to see it to want to watch it on video? So that really honed my storytelling skills. And then I went on to have a 15-year sales career at Condé Nast, which publishes a lot of brands, GQ and Vanity Fair and Vogue and several uh, Arc Digest. And um, I learned that when you're explaining the differences between all those different magazines and websites and brands, that you really have to bring the editor's voice to life to advertisers so that they would then understand, oh, if we're launching this model of Alexis or this particular line of clothing, 
this brand fits it best because that's the mindset we're targeting. And then the last five years, I've been on the keynotes uh, speaking circuit, teaching some of the lessons I've learned for the many years being in sales on that the secret to selling is whoever tells the best story in a presentation is who they hire because stories make us magnetic and memorable. Well, I love that. And of course, as you know, my audience is coaches and consultants that work in the corporate world, that work mm -hmm. with business owners, and they are the product. Yes. Services and what they do is what's being delivered. And so they are passionate about the benefits they bring to their clients mm -hmm. the work they do with them right most of them because I've worked with them because many of them have used our software products over the last mm -hmm. 20 some years one of the things I've seen consistently is they are not as comfortable in the marketing and sales mm. role. they much prefer to get referrals and not have to be calling on clients. Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons I was so excited about having you on the show is because you have an approach that I think they will really resonate with uh, because it is aligned with how they naturally like to be. And so one of the things that I think you'll be sharing today is this aspect of storytelling, how they can incorporate that naturally Mm -hmm. in his sales conversations that they're having just like they do it naturally in their coaching role or in their consulting role. It's a matter of applying that skill in a different scenario. So I want to get you to talk about certain aspects of that whole sales process because you've just lived yes. it for so long. It's mm -hmm. natural for you. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things is around the whole mindset of how can they change their thinking around this idea of I'm not a salesperson, but they right. really do need to be effective at selling in order to get new clients. Well, you know, it's interesting. You said, you know, the coaches and consultants have to sell themselves. They are the product. And we all have to sell ourselves all the time, whether we're working for a big company or working for ourselves. And I think that the first awareness is you sell yourself first, then you sell your company, even if it's just a one-person shop and what your brand stands for. And then you get into what it looks like to work with you as a coach or consultant. And most people jump to the product or service and forget the first two steps. So that's the first aha. Tell yourself, the company, even if it's just your own one-person company, and then and the way to sell yourself without being pushy, because that's the old way. If I give you enough information about me, then you'll make a decision. Now, the irony is I have to sell myself as a keynote speaker. So I understand your coaches and consultants' situation. Typically, um, it's between me and two other speakers. Someone's either my agents found me a lead or they've found me on the, uh, my book or they've Googled persuasion keynote speaker, whatever it is that got them to see some of my video. They're now saying, okay, we want to have a conversation and it's between you and two other people. I've helped a lot of companies who are in the same situation. So it's a little Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I helped an architecture firm named Gensler and I've helped a executive search firm, uh, DHR International. These are leaders in their fields. And these are multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar global companies. And guess what? They still have to pitch to a Honeywell or a Disney or whoever 
for an hour, come in and tell us what your idea is. Why should we hire you to be our search firm? Why should we hire you to redesign this airport? And they have an hour to do it. And they were just showing their designs or giving a bunch of information. But when I told them that storytelling is the new way to become memorable, they went, oh, because the problem I'm solving for those companies, Meredith, and that relates to the coaches and consultants is often it's between you and at least one other person, if not two others. Mm -hmm. And you hope, you know, the search firm was even saying, you know, we ask if we could be last, hoping that that'll make us memorable. But you can't control that. So as I said earlier, the stories make you memorable. One of the clients that hired me was Anthem Insurance, and I had to pitch myself against two other speakers. And they said, you know, we have nurses and MBAs that have to call on doctors, and they do not want to be asked to sell or even think of themselves like that. Said, what if we asked them to become storytellers who explained a story of another patient or another doctor they helped and told that story as a way to get people to agree with them or at least understand their point of view and they're telling stories which is a whole different side of our brain when we tell stories versus information mm -hmm. and um, they love that and I ended up getting um, that speaking engagement because I asked the questions and here's another big takeaway for your coaches and consultants when you are talking about what particular problem you're solving in that case the anthem audience didn't want to sell um, find out what other challenges they have going on that you could be part of that solution as well. So don't just settle for solving one problem and hoping that's enough to make you get the job. So I said, well, what else is happening during the two-day summit if I'm selected to open it? They said, oh, at the end of the first day, we're going to have an improv session. And a couple people from the audience are going to come up and pretend to be the doctor and some people will be the you know, anthem persons. And the audience is going to shout out the objections that they get. And they usually hate objections. And I said, oh, well, if I stayed... And on stage with them after my keynote during the improv and would whisper in their ear if they got stuck, how to keep it going. Because improvisation is all about yes and. And most problems with objections, as you know, where the mindset is, oh, I get defensive. Oh, and the, if you shift your mindset to they're not, a, this is a buying signal. They wouldn't ask a question if they weren't interested mm -hmm. and not resent the question. And yes and, let me explain that to you. Then it starts to come to life. So you know, one of the objections I got from Anthem Insurance was, have you given a lot of other talks to healthcare companies? I said, I have not, and I would be willing to stay and do this improv situation with you so that I would give extra value that would bring it come to life. And they said, we hadn't even considered that. So you, you answer the objection, and then you pivot it back to extra value. And now, of course, I've gone on to do multiple healthcare companies because I'm sure the same is true for your coaches and consultants. Once you break into an industry then it's much easier to get other clients like Blue Cross or other healthcare people because they go, oh, you understand our industry. Yeah. Does that help answer your question? About oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's really uh, a key. And that was another question I have that you started addressing it was this whole thing of objections because people mm -hmm. do get anxious when they yes. hear questions mm -hmm. or challenges uh, because they do tend to interpret it as, not wanting to do business, but you just said it indicated an interest. So talk a little bit more about that because I think yes. that's important for how we think about objections, yes. even that word objections. Even objection, yes, because we think we're a trial. Objection, Your Honor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Banging the gavel. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you another story, of course. What a shocker. So after I had worked with the architecture firm and helped them 
um, win some pitches to get law firms redesigned, airports remodeled. Um, and I was uh, up for, it was between me and two other speakers for the executive search firm. Uh, and you get past the first person and then you say, okay, we're going to talk to the CEO now. And the CEO said, um, well, have you spoken to any other search firms? Do you understand our industry at all? And I said, uh, well, I haven't. I did write an article about the three challenges that I think executive search people face. And I, you know, that was sent as part in addition to my video. So I put a little extra effort to compensate for that and realized by interviewing some of them, some of their big challenges, like you just had your best year. How do you overcome it? How to get people to trust you? How do you um, handle the perception that you're all the same? And I said, but uh, while I haven't uh, done a talk, your business is structured very similarly to architects. They're divided into practice areas. The architects specialize in airports or law firms. You have a whole group of people that specialize in the entertainment industry or legal or financial, and you have to pitch in an hour just like they do. And I told the story of how I taught them how to become storytellers. And I said, here's the story that got Gensler to win a billion dollar airport renovation. And when he heard that story that I was going to be teaching that in the keynote and the workshop and that they wouldn't have to struggle with wondering what order they were going to present in, he said, we want to have you come and do that. So I, it wasn't an exact fit, but it was, I connected the dots and said, look how similar your business is to that business. And if it worked for them, it can work for you. Again, the secret to all of this, Meredith, is when you tell a story, have the potential client see themselves in the story and going on that journey with you. And once they see, oh, if it worked for them, it could work for us, then there's the win. That's just brilliant because I think too often, I'll speak for myself. I know there have been times when I've been in situations where, do you have experience in X? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but to be able to, to tie in things to show how I'm still able to help you because I've yeah. got other things that are related. I think that's huge for someone when they're in a sales situation and people are bringing up objections. The other takeaway that I'm having just in hearing you describe that is staying calm. Oh, yes. And, and not feeling panic or anxiety or any negative emotions that can cause our brain to shut down. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, because in order to think on our feet, we have to stay in the moment yes. and not get so attached. Just the um, little ironic uh, coda, if you will, the resolution to that story is after I got hired to speak to the executive search firm and I did a workshop with them, guess what their objection is when they're trying to pitch an entertainment company or a law firm? Your competition has more experience in our industry placing executives than you do. How do you handle that? And so it was the exact same objection I had that I was helping them overcome. Look for other people you've helped and connect those dots. So I, part of it is, as we said, the mindset, this objection, you don't want to be a deer in headlights. What exactly. happens is the fight or flight response is kicking in. So write down the three to five most common objections or concerns that you anticipate you might be asked. Then role play with a friend. Here's how I would answer that. Do I sound defensive? Am I talking too fast? Because our heart rate gets going. When we get defensive and we get scared, the fight or flight, what? You're, you're, you're questioning my authority, my experience? You just need to take some breaths and say, I'm calm. 
and relaxed. I, and when you say that to yourself three times, then the irony is it becomes a tool for closing a sale as well. So silence is your friend, not your enemy. So when I help people with closing sales, you know, the old way of doing it is, you know, if I'm trying to sell you a house. Do you want to buy the house, Meredith? And then I'm waiting for you to say yes or no. And all the negative self-talk kicks in. Oh, I really need this commission. If I have to show her one more house, I'm going to lose my mind. So we, our, the anxiety gets built up and we can't, we're not comfortable with the silence. So we say, hey, Alf, I get them to flow the refrigerator in. Would you buy it then? And you've started the whole process over. Mm -hmm. So just teaching my clients how to be comfortable with the silence in the room after you say, would you like to buy the house? By saying, I am patient and calm. People pick up that energy. The old way used to be whoever speaks first loses. And people know that game. It's a battle of wills. But if you literally are patient and calm, giving them time to process and make a decision, then they pick that energy up. And it's the same thing with dating. You know, nobody wants somebody who's so needy or, or pulling too tight on the ropes just, just to say, you know, if this isn't a fit, maybe I know somebody else that would be a fit. Or um, maybe next year's theme will be a better fit. If you just keep it in that mindset of I'm successful, I'm not dependent on you for my success, I haven't given away my power, then people pick up that energy and that's what they're attracted to. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned this thing of closing. Let's go ahead and go there because mm -hmm. one of the things I think some folks are really good at is having conversations. You know, yes. people who are coaches and consultants naturally ask questions mm -hmm. and listen well. But at the moment when it's time to ask yes business together there's yeah. this hesitation mm -hmm. so one you had some great ideas in the book and i'd love you to just share what do you recommend when that moment is there when they sense this could be the right time to ask what it, what are yeah. the questions what's the well, i think we before we even start with the questions we start with the mindset again Yes. You know, when I fly from LA to New York and the pilot comes on and says, we're now landing at JFK, not one person stands up and says, what? We're landing? I thought we were just going to fly around forever. <laughs> and yet, we feel like we're going to have endless conversations with potential clients and never land the plane. So the mindset is I'm a co-pilot with my current and future clients. We're flying this plane together and we know there's a flight plan and we know we're going to land the plane one way or the other, yes or no. So that you don't start, you're not all nice and re relaxed in rapport building and asking your consulting questions. And then you're like, oh, now I got to put my hat on and force this plane to land. It's like, this is as natural as landing a plane. It's expected and it's, I'm staying relaxed and calm through the whole process. Now, instead of trying to get someone like Maslow, the famous psychologist, said if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you tend to go around looking for nails to hit. So again, if the only tool in your toolbox in a sales situation is you want to buy, you want to hire me, you know, when do you want to start, blah, 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 hammer, hammer, hammer. But if you've told a story of someone who is just like you, who was struggling with a pitch problem and you couldn't control what order you went in, and once they started telling stories of how they helped somebody else get this airport renovated really fast, they won business and told stories of why they became architects they became memorable without having to be pushy. After all that comes together, so does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on with me? 
is the closing question in a way that I'm in the story. Yes, I want that journey. I want the same kind of outcome that you gave the architecture firm to do for my team here at the search firm. That's a great question. Would you repeat it? I just sure. think it's a really good one to, for people to remember and embed and use. Does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on with me? I just love that. Because you're the Sherpa. You know, the hero yeah. of the story is the client, not me. Or I'm, you know, Yoda and Star Wars. Help, I'm mentoring them, helping them. And coaches and consultants certainly do that. Right. And so with me, so you're not going alone. Yes. Well, yeah. and, you know, if you start with that question and thinking about that's how you want to end, mm -hmm. you know, then you need to back up and look at how am I going to structure yes. the conversation the story that I tell so they get emotionally engaged with it yes. and they're anxious to get on that plane with you or in yeah. the car or whatever it is to go where well, you're going. I love that you said, you know, we were basically telling people reverse engineer what you're doing. And when I was working on my TEDx talk, which is be the lifeguard of your own life, the TEDx coach that I was working with said, all right, three questions. And this is great for your consultants and coaches to think of too when you have a conversation about new business. What do I want the audience to think? What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? So that's your three things before you give a talk, before you give a pitch, have that outcome in mind. I want them to think that I'm the best coach or consultant that's there because of my X, Y, and Z. I want them to feel comfortable and safe with me and feel confident that this is, I'm the right choice. And I want them, the action I want them to do is to say, send me the paperwork. Or yes, let's, when can we start? Or that kind of thing. So you're like, all right, so how do I get there? And as you said, the stories have to have a little bit of an emotional hook. Should I tell you the story that helped Gensler win that billion dollar airport renovation? Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> you, you are such a magnificent storyteller. Okay. So uh, that's one of the most fun things about your book, which I'll mm. plug for you because it's, it's wonderful. You tell great stories, but hearing you tell it, <laughs> terrific. So yes, please do. So the old way that they would pitch when they were brought in for these presentations would be, um, here's our designs, here's the before and after pictures, and this is what it looked like during the rehearsal. And, um, you know, we did this and we did that and, and X, Y, Z. And I said, those pictures are great, but there's no story there. So I pulled out a story of, by asking them a lot of questions, because the story has, you know, exposition. How long ago did you do that? Oh, what was the problem? What, how did you solve it? What were there any challenges? Don't make it seem easy. And then what's the resolution? What's life like after working with you? So that being said, using that structure, they said three years ago, we were hired by JetBlue to remodel the airport at JFK. The problem was we had to rip up all the floors in the middle of the night and get it done in time so that the stores could open and not lose any revenue. So that was a lot to do in 12 hours. At nine o'clock, the stores closed and we started taking up the tiles. We had all our vendors on call all night long, anticipating any potential problem that could go wrong. Sure enough, at two in the morning, a fuse blew and we had to call a vendor and he got there in 20 minutes, fixed it. And at 8.59 in the morning, the last tile went back down on the floor and the stores opened on time. And now JFK has gotten all kinds of press in the New York Times and got ranking from 24 to number one in two years after our renovation. <laughs> That's how they won that job uh, at the other airport. 
Because instead of me saying, we anticipate problems, we, know, we tell a story where we anticipate a problem. The drama. Yes, you know, I was the, just the thinking. The last tile going down. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, but I also painted the picture. And then the exposition of that story is, they got press, they went, they went up in the ranking. See, so you do paint these, all of that happens from working with us. I love that. Very powerful on so many levels. And, you know, folks that are experienced consultants and coaches have these stories mm -hmm. and they don't always think about how to package them yes. in, in a way like you just explained that you did with Gensler. And I'm curious because one of the other things I wanted to um, explore with you is when you have a client like that where you've really had a great impact in mm. how they make their presentations, Yes. Um, sometimes coaches and consultants, because of what they specialize in, they get into a client and they do that one thing mm -hmm. and then they're looking for the next client when mm -hmm. in reality there are lots of opportunities within that one organization to go deeper or wider and have a greater impact. And I know with you that happened with Gensler. So tell us, just to help stimulate the thinking of our mm -hmm. listeners, what are some of the other ways that you served that particular client? Well, originally I was brought into their DC office where their co-CEO is based to present to their management team. And the management team had many practice areas underneath them. And once they heard how to start winning more of these pitches and get new business, someone in the audience said, I want you to come to my office and teach this in New York. And then someone else said, oh, um, we're having trouble in Hong Kong as well. How can we help us there? there could, we're, somehow they are going with the lowest price vendor, but they're not happy with the outcome. Oh, there's a client that we're... Um, that we had, but they went away and now we're trying to win them back. Can you help us with that as well? So it just became this ongoing international global thing where I was speaking multiple times and helping multiple um, divisions win multiple pitches. But then you just start sharing that information. And then ironically, somebody left that firm and went to another firm and then they hired me. So when you do a really good job for someone, they want to have you spread it within the company. And then if they leave the company, they also want to bring you on because they know, trust, and like you. Let's just touch on that really quickly, really, really fast. The old way of doing that is, you know, if people know me, then they'll trust me and then they'll like me. And my whole premise is that order is reversed. My whole thought is people have to trust you first. It's a gut thing. In fact, the handshake came about to didn't show you have a, didn't have a weapon in your hand. Mm. Remember that fight or flight response we talked about during uh -huh. objections, right? So trust is built with credibility, social proof, eye contact. Then it moves from the gut to the heart. Do I like you? The more empathy you show, the more likable you are. Doctors spend more time with patients they like. Teachers spend more time with students they like. Mm -hmm. The architecture firm was told, look, we're going to hire the people we like the most because it was a five-year project. You all can do the designs. So they're like, get John in here. How do we up our empathy factor? And then it goes from the gut to the heart to the head. Will this work for me? So you can talk about somebody else, a case study, whatever it is, but if that person doesn't see themselves in the story, they go, well, that was nice for them, but this wouldn't work for us. Boy, that is a really critical point because I can think of different people that I know that have put together very effective case studies, mm -hmm. but it's 
you're talking the facts mm -hmm. unless you bring in those elements you were just describing to make right. sure that you cover those pain points that you really make clear what what you were outlining earlier what the problem was mm -hmm. and even going deeper what were some of the other problems that you uncovered because yes. of questions and then the journey you took them on and then the results that they that they got afterwards so you recommend that same formula if you will for whether you're doing a a large group presentation or making a pitch mm -hmm. to a small group of decision makers or even one yes storytelling is in our dna we used to sit around the glow of campfires and tell stories and now we sit around the glow of powerpoints <laughs> it, storytelling is is how you pull people in People relax when you tell a good story. They hope it's entertaining. They hope there might be a little suspense. So whether it's one or thousands of people, it's, it's your go-to tool. The other thing you had mentioned in your book that I wanted to just touch on is this idea when people are on a team and they're making a presentation mm. and they typically are saying, I'm John and I do this and I'm Meredith and I do that. Mm -hmm. Tell us what your version of that is because yes. I love it. Well, it's interesting. So many times, like in the architecture pitch, they're like, you know, we have all these slides. We, we might just skip over the team slide or we might just go through that really fast. That is your most important slide. Going back to the people, hire people they trust, like, and know. So you need to pull out that story. So instead of just saying how long you've been there and what you do, I had them do this exercise. What motivated you to become an architect? Where did you work before here? And we come up with stories. So Bob would say, hi, my name is Bob. You know, I was 11 years old. I played with Legos. That's what inspired me to become an architect. Now I'm, uh, I have a son that's 11. I still play with Legos with him, and I bring that same passion I had as a kid to architecture in this particular project. Two good stuff. Before working here, I was in the Israeli army, and I bring that same discipline and focus I learned there to make sure this project's going to come on time and under budget. Oh, whose story do they remember? You have the story of the team and the story of helping the uh, airport renovation and the drama of that, that's the combination that wins this pitch. Yes, that to me is just so powerful because sometimes we feel like we shouldn't say too much about ourselves personally. Because you need to tell your story of origin. Yes. Yeah, and I think that that is really worth somebody taking time to think through. What can I bring out about my past Yes. that demonstrates to them, I have, I have undertaken hard things, I've undertaken things, I understand yes. your journey. So here's I, what, Yes, I, here's what motivated me to become a coach, here's what motivated me to become a consultant. I was in your shoes, I experienced this pain. Yes. For me, it's, you know, my personal mission is to help as many people as possible get off the self-esteem roller coaster of only feeling good if things are going great or your numbers are up or bad if things are not going well. Because I was on that self-esteem roller coaster. Yeah. The way I found to get off of it is first to realize that who you are is bigger than your identity or your results. And secondly, tell stories that pull people in instead of pushing out information. And then you're off that roller coaster. Well, speaking of the roller coaster, reminded me, I wanted to also ask you about, let's say you've done everything right and you mm -hmm. still get a no. Yes. How do you deal with rejection how because mm -hmm. you were in sales for so long you got yeah. lots of no's i did tell us how do. you 
work through that so you're not discouraged and lose your momentum for the next opportunity? Well, the first part is no now doesn't mean no forever. So have that as a mindset. Then the second part is never reject yourself. I used to go up against Vanity Fair or Vogue or all these other magazines when I was at W Magazine and be like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe those other magazines are better. Or maybe another salesperson could have gotten a yes. And I'm rejecting myself and my product. Wait a minute. I'm not going to agree with the no. It's just not a no for now. And it's not a fit for what they're doing. But there's plenty of other people who need what I'm doing. And um, when I spoke to um, Land Rover and Jaguar, they deal with a lot of rejection, even selling luxury cars. And I said, what you need to do is cleanse your palate, your mind. So you get this no, somebody storms out of the dealership, I'm not buying this from you or whatever. Call up somebody you sold a car to. Hi, it's John from the Land Rover Jaguar dealer. Just wanted to see how you're enjoying your Jaguar. Any questions? What's your favorite part? When you're coming in for servicing? Whatever. Have a conversation. You're not selling them anything. You're just, I love my new car, John. Thank you so much. You're cleansing your palate so you don't take that negative rejection with you to the next person that walks into the dealership. Mm -hmm. We can do that. If you're getting stuck on, remember or call somebody else that you did a good job for and have that energy in for the next one. Oh, that's great advice. Thank you. I love that. So what else in wrapping up would you like to say related to storytelling? Any other tidbits or points or a tips that somebody could use? I think the key is to realize, realize that everyone is, can be a storyteller. It's a skill. You don't have to be an athlete at it. You don't have to be Meryl Streep of acting at it. Just learn some basics, practice it, and make sure that you, the hero is the client and not you in the story. And then just keep refining it. And once you do that, it's going to give you a whole other level of confidence. And you're going to go from pushing and trying to be memorable to being magnetic and pulling people in and you're going to not burn out. You're going to be so much happier doing what you love to do because you're a storyteller sharing the stories of other people you've helped as opposed to a pushy salesperson. And when that happens, you become a revenue rock star because it's energy that gets pulled into you magnetically. People are happy to refer you. Yes, that a great, great way to uh, bring that all together. So let's look at your book again, Better Selling. Sure. Through storytelling, I highly recommend it. I, I would recommend you invest in that because John gives wonderful examples. It's conversational and his storytelling ability is a wonderful model hmm. for anyone else that really wants to hone their storytelling skills. You give a great framework there. So, John, thank you so much. You've delivered Thanks. tremendous value to our listeners and I appreciate your being with me today. My pleasure and I have a free gift for your listeners. If they text the word PITCH, P-I-T-C-H, to 66866, they can get a sneak peek of my book for free. Oh, that is great. Thank you. And if they want to connect with you, where can they find you online? My website is my name, johnlivesay.com. And if you can't remember that or the title of the book, just remember the Pitch Whisperer. You can Google that and all my content will show up. That's great. And that's John Livesay, L-I-V-E-S-A-Y. Thank you, John. And uh, good luck with your book sales. I know it's going to be a real winner because you deliver so much value there. Thanks, Meredith. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.